What's up, guys? This is Roland Buck III. I play Noah Sexton on Chicago Med, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. Gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Meet Us at Molly's, episode 92. I'm your host, my name is Bryna, and with me, as always, it's the lovely Gina. Hello. Gina's a little under the weather today, but she's being a great co-host and powering through so we can get this episode out for you guys. Yes, no sinus infection will thwart me, ever. 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 Even if I sound like a man. <laughs> you do not sound like a man, <laughs> but I'm proud of you for pulling it through. <laughs> so this week we're talking about episode 12, so 412, 712, and 612. Um, but first, as always, we're going to start with the news. So let's start. We've got some episode descriptions. So we've got episode 13 descriptions, and these are the episodes that are airing February 6th. There's no new shows this week, so this week being the week of the 28th. But So these are going to be the next episodes that we see. So Gina, do you want to start first by taking us through the med description? Sure. So... The med episode is entitled Ghosts in the Attic, and the description says, Dr. Halstead withholds some important information from Dr. Manning, and she begins to question his suspect behavior. Dr. Choi comes to some difficult conclusions involving April over a patient's care, and an incident in the OR involving Dr. Becker at the hands of Dr. Rhodes may have serious implications. Okay. Yikes. Um... Yeah, yikes. <laughs> I kind of want to touch on the Manstead part of that, but I, also the, the, the Wrecker part of that is kind of piquing my interest. I My first thought was about the Manstead part of it. Just like, are we really going here again? Like, why? Right. I don't know what this information is. And my guess is it's probably about a patient. But like, did we really not? Oh, no, it's, I bet it's about the gun. Yeah. I just I just put that together. But like... Will, 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 did we not just learn from this? No, we didn't. If I've learned anything about the Halstead brothers in the past, like, week or two, it's that they are stubborn. So stubborn. So stubborn. Oh, my goodness. Although, I mean, I'm sure Will's got his reasons for keeping the gun. We'll get into it. But, I mean. Crazy. Is there no trust between them? Like, what is going on right now? Well, I mean, I think. Natalie seems to think there is, right? Like, Natalie has forgiven... I mean, we're going to get into all this, but, like, Natalie's forgiven him and opened up and apologized, and she wants him to move back in, and she just says, you know, but, like, I just can't do this, and so if you're willing to do this for me, then, like, I can forgive you for everything that you've done. And he seems to agree to that, so Natalie right now, I think, is full putting her full trust in Will, but who knows? We'll get into more of that in a second. Um, yeah, yeah. Crazy. But the incident in the OR involving Dr. Becker at the hands of Dr. Rhodes. What on earth does that mean? I don't know. I was just trying to figure out. So does this mean it's technically Connor's fault, but it looks like it's Ava's? Is that what that? Yeah, I'm, 
I'm wondering if Connor told Ava to do something and that's the, that's the problem. That's what my guess is. It Like, it really should be his fault, but she was the one who actually did whatever it is. And so she's the one that's, like, actually being blamed. Huh. I don't know, though. That's how I'm taking it. But that wording's a little weird. So weird. So. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> but, yeah, so that's the med description. So our next description for fire is called the plunge. This episode is called the plunge. And that description goes, Cruz leads the charge in getting the firehouse to gear up for the polar plunge. Herman has a hard time bouncing back after dealing with a tough call and Foster's personal, personal relationships begin to interfere with her job. I'm really excited that they're doing the plunge. That'll be fun. Would you ever in your life do the polar plunge? No. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think I would. I think my instinct would be to say no, but I feel like I could be convinced, but I, I also I mean, feel like I, I could do it. Ever. I just don't want to do it. They say it's like really good for you. Yeah. I, I could do it. They just had the DC one. Like I saw some video of it on Twitter. I could do it. I don't want to. <laughs> but. I mean, our version of the polar plunge in Texas would be like. When it's 30 degrees out and you just jump into, like, a lake. But it, it wouldn't even compare to D.C. or Chicago. Yeah. But I saw, I literally just saw on Twitter before we started recording, there were some promo photos. Um, and I'll just, like, you know, because I think part of the fun of the Polar Plunge is, like, getting dressed up in costumes. And there's, like, going all crazy. So just seeing what the cast, like, or the characters are wearing reaching and like Bowden's got like a cigar coming out of his mouth as he like runs in it's just really funny so I'm excited also there's some photos from this episode and like Casey and Severide are in a club or something it looks like it looks like they're going out for like a bros night and I'm like what is happening I mean I'm not complaining but like what is happening have you seen these photos I've seen a couple of them yeah I'm you know I wasn't crazy about Gabby leaving. I wasn't crazy about single Casey, but I gotta say, like, those two being single at the same time together is, like... It's fun. Such a blessing in disguise this season. It's just so nice. Yeah. It's fun. I'm ex- I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. And then, Gina, do you want to take the PD one? Sure. So, the PD episode is called Night in Chicago. And it says, Atwater goes undercover to bring down the longtime head of a criminal enterprise and becomes entangled in a situation that tests his allegiances as well as his conscience. Also of note is that, according to TV Line, this episode also features the return of Wendell Pierce as Ray Price. Dun dun dun. I'm, okay, there's two things, like two different, very different sides of me. The one side is like, what the hell? Why do we keep putting Atwater in dangerous situations? Why, A, just like all our characters in dangerous situations. Like, not for here for it. Like, we can stop now. But then the right. other side of me, especially based on the promo and I think kind of just the hype around this episode, is it just seems like it's going to be, you know, one of the biggest and most powerful hours of PD that, like, they've ever done. And I'm really excited for it because I know LaRoyce is going to kill it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's going to kill it. I'm excited. It, yeah, it looks like it's going to be really good. I mean, now, granted, when they always say it's going to be, like, the most powerful episode of the season, I really wish somebody would take all the promos for every episode and do, like, a super cut so we could see just how many times they say that. 
<laughs> in each promo because I feel like every single week it's like this is the episode that changes everything like every single one and then it's not yeah this one though but it still sounds like it's gonna be really good this one though I feel like probably not the one that's gonna change everything but just and I could be really wrong in this but it's probably gonna be the most political episode they've ever done yeah just from the promo because you know with this stuff i mean it just seems like that i don't know but yeah i mean it looks like it's gonna be really good yeah so i'm excited and i'm excited to see how wendell pierce comes back to how ray price returns because we haven't seen him in a long time we haven't seen him at all this season no. so i was gonna say we haven't seen him at all this season no yeah i, w- I would be interested to see him go head to head with kelton i was just about to say i wonder if he's gonna have more to do with the atwater part of this or like the kelton part which i'm assuming i don't know i'll be interested to see yeah so yeah sounds good so in other news we got a tv guide article that the headline is cruz's little brother is returning to stir up more trouble so basically leon Leon is coming back um he is set to return to the nbc drama in an episode airing february 13th and his re-emergence spells trouble for his firefighter sibling he will be back for a pivotal arc that leads to a crossover with PD. And things have been on the up and up for Cruz as his relationship with Chloe strengthens. However, Leon's return will mostly disrupt that. This is all from TV Guide. So really, it's like two bits of news that, like you know, Leon's coming back and also we're going to get another crossover. Right, yeah, because we didn't. And like, is that assuming the crossover is that week, like February 13th or like... His storyline is set up in the thirteenth episode, or the February thirteenth episode, but really takes place in like the week after, like the twentieth episodes. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to be because it it said pivotal arc, so right that leads lead to, to a crossover. Line. So I, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but also, I think the interesting part, you know, like how is Leon going to disrupt the Cruz and Chloe stuff? Like, does it have to do with whatever this arc is, or is it just like? Leon showing up and Cruz hadn't told Chloe about her or vice versa. So, like, that's where that is. Don't know. But it's just also interesting, too, because we had gotten a question from Allison in one of her emails this week. And she said, what happened to Chloe after making such a big deal about how Cruz felt about her and how bad her injuries were? Has she even been mentioned since then? Yes. She, they yeah, mentioned- she was mentioned. I think the first episode back, like, she was doing okay and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we haven't seen her since then, we, but they've mentioned her, so. I mean, it's like Donna. Like, we only see her once in a blue moon. Right. But she's still around. Right, and they still mention her. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, I mean, I'm assuming the next time we'll see her is this week on the 13th, so. Exciting I hope stuff. So that would be nice. I'm excited though for Leon to come back because we always love. I mean, we love Leon, and we were excited when he came back last season. And yeah, I'm excited to see him come back. Yep, very much so. And so the last thing, I guess, is not really technically news. I mean, but we'll we're still gonna talk about it anyway. So TV Guide had another article. Um, they did an interview with Charlie Barnett, and apparently in this interview, they brought up Chicago Fire, and he's absolutely down to return. So he was telling them, you know, I've had discussions about it, about returning. 
Um, I would love to, but I haven't had the opportunity. There's a lot of things going on in the show, so I don't really know where they'd fit me in. <laughs> and I love this part. He said later on in the interview, Monica and I have had a little dream of us creating a spinoff show, me cooking in North Carolina, her traveling back and forth from Puerto Rico, and establishing some sort of world down there. Um, he said, noting that it would ever happen, but I would absolutely be open to returning. Yes. I just, I have nothing else to say except for, yes, to all of it. Like, bring him back. We can find somewhere for Mills to slot in. Yeah, okay, so, like I said, first of all, just, I also just love that he and Monica have, like, talked about it. Like, I just think that's, like, adorable. Um, yes. And not that I would necessarily want that show, but, like, adorable. I love all of it. Um, and, like, yeah, have you thought about how you would want Peter Mills to come back? Because, like, I don't think there's really the best way for him to come back, but, like, I don't really care. I want them to find a way for him to come back. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't even care. Just, I, I don't care. Like, bring him back and we'll figure it out. I don't know. Like, I kind of want to, like, get a list together of different ways they could bring him back just so, just because, like, and make it as ridiculous as possible. But, I, yeah, I don't even care. He could just come back to visit for a weekend and then be right. like, hey, I want to stay. Or, yeah. Right. Or even, like, go back to squad, do desk duty. Like, I really don't care. Just figure it out. Ambo, he's literally yeah, just, done it all, so they can literally fit him in anywhere. Can't they just, like, make an Ambo that seats three paramedics and not two? <laughs> right, or, like, can't you add a fifth person on the squad? Because there's a fifth person on truck, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think they should do that, even though Mills is out of training. I don't care. I don't care either. Or, I mean, yeah, with the spinoff, they could make that work, and it could be, like, Dawson and Mills are like building a chain of restaurants and they start in North Carolina and they're looking to expand into Puerto Rico. I don't know. Make it like an HGTV show or something. <laughs> That'd be fun. I don't care. Like, I, I don't care. I'll come up with all sorts of ridiculous ways <laughs> to get Mills back on the show. I just want him back. I know. And like I said, even, I mean, obviously I would love for him to come back for like a semi-permanent thing. Okay, fine. But like, even like you said, if, even if he just showed up for a guest spot, for, like, the visit, like, he's back in Chicago for X, Y, and Z and, like, decides to drop by the firehouse. Like, I don't care. Right. Like, and then is around for the whole episode. Like, I don't care. Just, like, get Charlie Barnett back on the show. Well, the whole part where he says, like, discussions have happened, that's awesome. Because that's more than I would have imagined them doing. He's talked to the Chicago fire people. Right. Yeah, and, like, that's assuming that, like, it was just also kind of based on, like, his schedule not working out, too. Not that he doesn't want to do it, but that, like, it just didn't work for his schedule. Right. So, like, right. it's like, Charlie Barnett, I love seeing you on different things, but, like, stop working so that you can go back to Fire Arcade things. Yeah, I feel like Mills deserved better than what he got in the first three seasons. Like, I feel like he didn't deserve to leave the way he did. Seasons one and two were fine for him. Season three, uh-uh. Nope. Right. And then I, I he, he got the kind of exit that I really can't stand on TV when basically they write somebody out and the excuse is that there's nothing left for that character to do. That is not how human life works. Right. I was just thinking about that with um when I was catching up on Grey's with Jessica Capshaw and Sarah Drew. Like they got fired mm. because they didn't have anything else for those characters to do. And it's like, come on. Really? Right. Okay. Well, whatever. Yeah. So. I feel like he deserved better, so I'm all in favor of him coming back. Yes, 100%. And it seems like from Twitter, because we posted this on our Twitter, that actually, no, it did not seem like it was 100% new animus. There was a bunch of different responses. 
Some people were really glad that he was going to, like, he would be open to coming back. Some people were like, uh, no, thank you. The only person I want back is Gabby. And some people were kind of indifferent. So if you haven't let us know your opinion on it, let us know. Please, yes. So, yeah, let's move on and jump right into these episodes. So, as always, we're going to start with Med. Um, Let's just jump right into it. Let's jump into Connor and Ava. This was another week and another episode where Connor and Ava are at odds both professionally and personally. It was bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's just awkward. It's not even super frosty with her. It's not even, see, I didn't even think of it as that. I think he's just trying to navigate the whole situation. He doesn't really know how to act. And so it just leads to this like awkward, like, I don't really know kind of thing. And like, I got to tolerate you at work, but like, I don't want to. And so how do I navigate that? Like, he's just, it's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting that he kind of iced her out for like weeks because Ava said that in the morning. She was like, you've been distant and aloof for weeks. That's not really like Connor to just ice her out, you know? Right. But he, I mean, you know, he, I think he's in this really weird situation where he doesn't trust his father at all because of their past for, you know, years and years. And he has a lot of trust issues when it comes to Cornelius. But then Ava has also shown him that, like, she has a history of lying. And so, you know... How do you know if she's telling the truth either? So, like, who does he believe? There are no other witnesses. So, like, you've got to figure out for yourself, like, what the real story is. Right. But. Right. No, I mean, there's a lot of questions. But, and I mean, I found myself as the episode went on, like, more so believing Cornelius, which I was like, oh, ooh, that, I, that feels so wrong. But, I mean, Connor's dead on. She's been lying to him about everything. Right. And I kind of felt like that way, too. Like, I feel like I'm kind of leaning towards the Cornelius part, um, just because Ava has developed this history of lying. But then she comes back and says, you know, when he, Connor points out to her that Cornelius told him that, like, her perfume smelled like lilacs or whatever it was. And Connor's like, well, he's right. Like, that is what it smells like. And then Ava's like, well, he could have, you know, he just smelt me when I leaned over. Like, you know, nothing happened. But, like... I'm still inclined to believe Cornelius, which is words I never thought I'd say, but. Right, right. And that last scene gave me such a weird vibe because, you know, I guess, do we just want to skip right to that last scene? Yeah, we'll come Um, back to the case in a second, but yeah. Okay, yeah, that very last scene where she was like, you're actually going to take his word over mine. And Connor was like, you've lied to me. And then she was just like, but I care about you. He doesn't. That was a really weird vibe in that scene because Ava went from looking like a doctor with experience, like a strong, competent, confident woman, to looking like the psycho stalker in a Lifetime movie. Like, listen to the kind of stuff she was saying. I was just kind of like, oh my God, this could be a Lifetime movie. Right. It doesn't sound right. Right. Well, she has an excuse for everything. Right. That's the bigger problem, is right? Like, there is no hesitation with her answers. There is no nothing. Like, she has an excuse for everything. And that is yeah. kind of what happens with those kind of stalkerish lifetime movie people characters that you see is, you know, they always do, they're witty, they're smart, they know what to say. And that is Ava in this scenario. Yeah. She's anticipated every outcome to react and like knows how to react to what Connor could possibly say. Yeah. It's a little crazy. Yeah. 
It is a little crazy. And she sounded kind of desperate in that last scene. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Because she doesn't want him to leave because she's so in love with him. This is not healthy. No. It, no, it's not. Not at all. No. It's... How do you think this ends for them? Oh, my God. I... I mean, clearly they're going to break up at some point, but, like, I don't know. It depends on how far they want to push the Ava stuff. Like, I mean, they could be going down kind of like a, no, I don't want to say serial killer, but, you know, like a stalkerish kind of care- lifetime movie character. But then I feel like that's also kind of crazy. Like, why would they have spent a season and a half building her up only that then turn her into that kind of character? But I could be wrong. I don't know. Right, right. I mean, it just, I only asked the question because it seems like, especially with the couples on med, they're always kind of one action away from, like, the point of no return. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I don't know, I I could see this, and this is kind of like last year when they started to push Alinsky into the background. We were like, are they trying to lead this into him leaving the show? So I'm wondering, I'm like, are they trying to lead this into, like, Ava leaving med or something? I don't know. I thought I can't be around Connor? I don't know. I've thought about that, too. But then I think you also, it also goes back to the question of when you said that all the med couples are kind of one thing away from like the point of no return. That's true. But there are also couples like, I mean, man said, for example, like we all know that man said is like end game. I'm assuming nobody leaves the show, right? Like it is man said, like there is no other person for Will or Natalie, assuming none of Mm -hmm. them have left the show for good. But like with Connor, I don't believe that Ava's the person for him, right? No. So, like, if any, if if either one of them was going to leave the show, it's going to be her, I would assume. I would assume that um, Colin's not planning to leave. But, like, right. I don't know. I think that goes, you know, that just brings an interesting part of it, too, is, like, well, with Manstead, you know, Manstead's always one thing away from the point of the return, but they always, you know, they're also soulmates. As crazy as that is, but they are. (laughs) Connor and Ava are not that. No, especially not if Cornelius is right. Right. And plus, if she's, if she's, if this is the way she's behaving, all out of love for Connor, she's only hurting her own career. Right. Well, and then Robin comes back. I mean, granted, they, the things, the articles have always said that Robin isn't coming back specifically for Connor. She's coming back for, like, family stuff, but, like, Robin is coming back, and we know that she's probably going to have scenes with Connor. So, like, what does that play into it, too? Into the Ava and Connor I future? with Robin. I wasn't crazy with them, but, like, if I have to pick a favorite out of Connor's people, I'd probably pick in Robin. Right. So. Yeah, this is just going in a really odd direction. I don't know. Yeah, I... But I want the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, like, every week being like, well, if this happened. But I want, like, the truth. I want to know what's going on by now. Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, and I think, that, here's the thing, too, is, like, Jiffy Pop Culture sent us a question, was, like, Ava is lying, right? I mean, I still, like I said, I still hold the belief that she's lying, but... I don't know the way like again the way that she plays it off where she has an answer for every little thing and a comeback she's anticipated every situation it does give you the moment it does make you rethink things and be like oh shit is she actually lying or is she you know I don't know Uh, yeah 
I, I think she is. I think she's lying only. I mean, and Connor basically said what I was thinking when he was like, you've developed this pattern of lying. How am I supposed to know when you're telling the truth? You know, I, that, I agree with that. So, I mean, I'm inclined to think that she's lying and I'm just really hoping I'm wrong. Yeah. But, you know. So on the professional level, though, they were still at odds. So basically what went down with them this week was they were working on a case together, of course, because the couples always work together. And there was a Down syndrome woman who was pregnant. And she herself had had a heart issue. But the baby was having a lot of issues. And so they needed to operate on the patient. And also try to help the baby, but the mom of the patient was worried about her having the baby in the first place. I'm trying to, like, keep that all straight. That is right, right? I think you're right, yeah. I'm trying to make sure I worded that right. Anyway, and so Connor's whole side was, you know, we can operate on the patient and try to save the baby, or, you know, like, we won't let you, you know, if you don't want to have the operation. Because the patient was very determined. I forget the names. That's why I'm using the words patient. Um, the patient was very worried, you know, she wants to have the baby, you know. And so Connor was on her side. Well, Ava took the mom's side and was like, well, we'll save the patient. And if we can save the baby, great. But if not, then, you know, it is what it is. So that's where that professional description. I'm looking for the right word. Whatever. Conflict. Conflict. That's a better word. Worked. So I just love, I mean, Lauren Potter played the Down syndrome patient, and I just, I love her from the Glee days. I really do. She's always so good in everything she is. Did your head almost explode when you saw it was like the Glee Chicago mashup of your dreams? No. I mean, I loved it, but like it didn't explode. Um, I mean, because I'd seen, like, she was in one of the previews or whatever, and then you had tweeted about it to me, and so I was like, oh, right, that's happening this week. And then I, like, it was, like, three days later when I saw the episode, and I was like, oh, right, this is really nice. Um, But it didn't explode, because I had already kind of, like, known it was coming. Uh, But she's just so good. She is such a good actress. She's so good, and she was on Switched at Birth for a while, too, and she's so good at everything she is and. I'm glad she's getting work. Yeah. Hollywood can be kind of weird about those kind of things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I don't know what the last thing she was in besides this. Like, I know, like, in the height of her Glee days, she was getting, like, a ton of work. Um, I feel like I haven't seen her in that much recently, but I could be wrong, and I just haven't watched her in anything. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. But, um, but yeah, she's just so good. Um I thought this case was really strong. Like, my new favorite thing that Med does now is when they have these cases that bring up the really good legal questions. And that's just because me, I'm a nerd with a legal background. And so, you know, yeah, it just brings up these really interesting questions. And in this case, it's, you know, mom is the medical power of attorney. But what does Illinois consider in defining capacity? Because the patient was very, she seemed very competent you know, to make that decision and say, no, I don't want to hurt the baby, you know. Yeah, I was, I was surprised when the mom pulled the power of attorney card because I was just like, really? Like she, 
she seems able to make a competent decision. Right. And I think especially, I mean, it's tricky with obviously Down syndrome patients is, you know, like, does that mean that they're just always forever and ever like declared incompetent, even though clearly she was, I mean, like we said, she seemed very competent. Um, or is that just like a state by state thing? Like, again, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and I didn't have time to research it, unfortunately, which, you know, nerd me would have loved to have done, but 24 hours in a day, you know. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question, because like last week we had that interesting one with Will, and this week I'm just like, ooh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I was with Connor on this one, too, that this is two weeks in a row now, one week that I was with Will, and this week I'm like, no, I agree with Connor. I'm like, who am I? No, I definitely agreed with Connor, especially like we said, like, from our understanding, she seemed very competent, like she knew what she wanted. And, you know, if you can try to do both, then you should do both. So. Right. Right. This is another one of those instances where Connor's God complex wins again. Yeah. Yeah, because he was just, like, in the middle of the surgery and he was, like, started working on the bit. You know, things went wrong and he was, like, able to save both. And he was like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, I'm doing both. And I was just like, oh, dear Lord. (laughs) He's like, I'm both. I'm doing I am God. Yeah. But it worked out this time, so. Yeah. yeah. Should we move on to the Mansteads? Let's move on to the Mansteads. So the Mansteads are an interesting thing. So basically what happens with them is Natalie was in a medevac hospital, or hospital, medevac helicopter, <laughs> and something went wrong. The engine blew out. The helicopter crashes. Natalie has her patient with her, and so, you know, they're stuck. So then when they get the call at the hospital that a trauma doc has to go out there, Choi, they're going to send Choi. And then Will's like, no, I want to go. And so Will goes out there and meets Squad 3. And he's, you know, Kelly's like, whoa, hold on. You know, like, we got to get our guys down there first, like, make sure it's stable. And Will's like, no, send me first. And I was like, okay. So he gets down there and, you know, help, try to help Natalie and helps the patient and everyone gets out, whatever. But Natalie has broken her arm in this crash because obviously I'm surprised that was the only injury she walked away with, but. No, she dislocated her shoulder. Okay, same thing, but like, I mean, not the same thing, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like the fact that she only yes. dislocated, like, come on now. I know that like the helicopter went down and it like blew an engine or something and everybody's okay except for her shoulder. That's the only injury that comes out of that. Well, and that's what I was saying because like, so JP Paul Culture sent us a question was like, was this the most night shift episode of med ever? And I was like, and she, and they were like that helicopter. And I was like, yes, but also like the least dramatic helicopter crash ever. Yeah. And it's like the most med thing in the world to have a helicopter just go poof right in the middle of the sky out of the blue. Well, the first thing that I thought of, have you, this sounds so terrible. Have you ever seen, shit, which one of these is it? One of the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. I can't remember. It's got to be the second one, I think. I have not. I've not seen any of them. I saw like two minutes of the first one and I was like, what is this crap? Okay. No offense to anybody who loves it. I've, well, I've seen all three and I can't remember which one it is where he goes down in like a crash that's very similar to that. And then he just like pops up back at his apartment and is like shaken up, but like, okay. And I was just like, what the hell? But like it very just similarly remind me of how it's like, you know, the sky's okay, whatever. But then they like run into something. The engine crashes like kind of out of the nowhere and just like falls. And I was just like, what the hell? Um, so it just reminded me of that. But also, 
like you said, the aftermath of this crash, like, it's just, like, the least dramatic thing ever. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of interesting parts of that. Like like you were saying, when Will is like, get me down there. And Cruz is like, dude, we got to wait. And Severide was like, no, just go. Like, I feel like Severide was just like, I don't want to listen to him whine. Just let him go. And if he gets himself in trouble, he gets himself in trouble. But and then Will got down there and Natalie was being so mean to him. She was like, I don't need your medical advice. Yeah. Like, yikes. Yeah. It was cute, though, when she finally got out because, you know, her shoulder was dislocated. And Will was like, well, here, let me reduce your arm. And Natalie was like, no, like, you're in the wrong spot. This is the arm. And then he goes, he, like, finishes her sentence. And he's like, yeah, it's the arm you broke in college when Lisa Gates ran into you with a bike, whatever. Like, find someone who loves you enough to remember that bitch Lisa Gates from college (laughs) ran into you with her bike. For real, though. Like, that was sweet. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, and then I love how she was just like, oh, fine. You can put it back into place, you know, whatever. No, You know. Yeah. But... Yeah. And so. Also, that image yes. when um, he's like, when Will's at like the top of like the cliff or hill, whatever, and like they zoom in on his super worried face, but then they get the shot from behind of like him looking out at the rock quarry and you just see the helicopter. I was like, damn. I get that they're trying to drive home that this is serious, but like, Manstead angst. Yeah. So a ton of angst in that, but then kind of the big moment was when they're they finally you know they get the patient settled they get everything they need to they get in the the ambulance or whatever i guess i'm sure it's an ambulance that they're going back to med to take the patient back to med and natalie has this moment where she actually apologizes to will about you know the current state of their relationship and you know how she really couldn't imagine to what he was going through and then will opens up about like what he actually went through And he says, you know, he's like, when I was in that room and afraid I was going to die, like, all I could think about was that I'd never see you again. I was just like, damn, okay. Which is sweet and all, but, like, why is she the one apologizing? He's the one who did all the work to put them in this position in the first place. Yes. And, but I think, I mean, I wonder if it's part of it because she knows, like we said, he is very stubborn. And I don't know, you know, she loves him so much and she just wants him back. You know, she wants him to get rid of the gun and she just wants him back and wants to marry him. And so, but I think she's afraid that if she didn't say something first, so like maybe he would never say something. And that like sometimes you have to be just like the bigger person and even though it's not your fault, just like own up to a mistake, even though it's not your fault. And just like so that you can both move past it. Right. Like. Sometimes, yeah, it sucks, but, like, and she probably shouldn't be apologizing, but she wants him back. She wants her will back. But I don't think her will, her will might not exist anymore. Right. I, I know that, and you know that, but that doesn't mean she can't try to, like, see if he's still there. Right. So, yeah. So then she asks they get back to the hospital or whatever and she asks will you know to move back in with her but she says you know there's still a catch and like she he needs to get rid of the gun and will agrees you know take it to police station after shift but when he gets back you know he changes his mind and puts the gun back in the car (sighs) so that's why where that i yeah i don't know i really need will to just like start talking about the gun part of it because like i get like I get that he went through something so traumatic 
both in Chicago and then when he was in fuck, why can't I not think of the word? Phoenix. Yeah, well not in Phoenix for um what is it called? Witness protection? Yeah. That's what that's what I was thinking of. Sorta? Yeah. yeah. Witness protection. But like and I know he said earlier that like the gun makes him feel safe and like in control. But, like, I just need him to talk a little bit more about, like, why he wants the gun specifically. Like, there are other ways I feel like you can make yourself feel safe and in control. But, like, why the gun? So I, like, want him to talk more about that at some point to somebody. Yeah. That's a good point. What are some other ways you can think of? Well, um, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, if they don't go for a gun, a lot of people, when they go through traumatic events, both in real life and, you know, in books or TV or movies or whatever, a lot of people pick up, like, kickboxing or not kickboxing, but, you know, like, boxing or, you know, I other things along those lines as a way, like, self-defense classes to, like, protect themselves and, you know, A, get their anger out. B, allows them to feel like they protect themselves. And C, I mean, it allows them to feel in control a little bit. Um, oh, I would love to see a Will Halstead fight scene. Yeah. Again, obviously, that doesn't really do anything for you against a gun. And so that probably is why Will feels like he has to have a gun because guns combat guns. But, like, you know. Right. I just feel like there are other ways that, like, he can learn to feel in control and protect himself if he chose to do them i think therapy is an important step hopefully for sure that's gonna work out yeah but if he feels like like, if he feels like he needs something that like in a moment if he got into it himself into another situation there are other things other than the gun especially because the gun what are you just gonna carry it on your person 24 7 like what if you have a moment where like in the hospital you've left your gun in the car because you can't take it in the hospital but then someone brings a gun in the hospital like it's not gonna help you no, I was going to say, he probably can't have it on him in the hospital. That's what I'm saying. So, like, it wouldn't help you then, whereas at least if you learn, you know, self-defense classes or kickboxing or boxing or whatever, like, mm-hmm. those aren't things where you have to have extra tools for them, you know? You just start doing it. Which begs the question to me, where are we going with this? Because, like I was saying earlier about every couple being one step away from the point of no return, the point of no return here is if Owen gets hold of that gun. Yeah. Which is Natalie's fear, why Natalie doesn't want it in her house. Yeah, so where are we going with this? Are we leading up to Will using the gun? Here's the thing. I bet Will doesn't bring it back in the house because he knows Natalie doesn't want it in the house. So we don't have to worry about Owen having a hold of it. It's just going to, he's just going to keep it in his car. To me, that seems like a solution that would work. Right, but Natalie, I mean, and I wonder if he had just proposed that to Natalie, if Natalie would have been okay with it. But, like, I don't know. And now he's probably not going to tell her. And he's going to start acting all suspicious again. And, like, who the fuck knows? I feel like everybody on this show would have zero problems if... Or let me rephrase this. Nobody on this show would have any problems if they just told the truth and didn't lie. Right. But then we don't have a show, Gina. So, you know. I would I would take one episode of everybody being all like happy and everything being like boring and nice. I would take that, but not everybody else would. So I understand. Yeah, I don't know craziness. But like, and and I feel like lying again is going to be 
that could be a point of no return for them too because i mean how much more can natalie take and in a way i feel like this lie is worse than will's lie the first lie about Ray and the mobster and stuff. I feel like this lie is worse because the first lie, at least we knew he was doing it to protect her. This one, I mean, his reason is just, we don't really know yet. Right. I, I'll be curious. I, I don't know. I think it, I think next week we'll kind of be able to like reassess the whole Manstead thing. I mean, as of right now, I still think her first one, or the first lie was way worse. Because, yes, he did it to protect her. But, like, it really just ended up really endangering her. I mean, granted, a gun. I think it really depends on where he keeps the gun. If he tries to bring the gun back in his house, then, yeah, maybe this one's worse. But, like, if he keeps the gun in the car, I don't know. I don't know. I think next week we'll be able to really kind of, like, assess this situation for themselves. Right. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just... I'm wanting to play, like, relationship therapist to them and be like, you know, Will, why don't you feel like you can tell Natalie that you want to keep the gun? Like, why, you know, why didn't you offer the compromise of keeping it in your car? Right. And he might. He might. I mean, I don't know. I think next week, you know, we'll see. Um, I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah. So moving on to kind of the last section. And I we kind of just put together like the Charles and Ethan and April and Elsa stuff like kind of all in one because there's not like a ton really to talk about and like Charles and Ethan work together and April and Elsa work together but then Ethan and April had something that need to be discussed so like it all just kind of ends up going together yeah so I think the one thing we don't really need to get into like a ton of the Charles and Ethan case but like did you see the kid trying to kill himself as part of the storyline when it happened? Because, like, I definitely did not. Yeah, absolutely not. I didn't think they would go there with a child. No, what I thought they were going to kind of do was more, like, of an abuse thing with, like, you know, obviously the kid had a broken arm and the dad's in the hospital now. And then when they when Dr. Charles started, like, probing for that, like, probing, you know, asking him about his arm or whatever, I was like, oh, they're going full abuse again. Like, and I don't know what mm-hmm. twist they'll have within the abuse part, but, like, that's where they're going. And then it kind of took more of a twist into, like, the kid having his own stuff with his dad and the alcoholism and the alcohol. It was just, like, a whole different thing that I did not see coming at all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. But that negotiation scene when he was sitting on the ledge and Dr. Charles was talking to him, like... Might be one of the most powerful scenes in med history. Yeah, for sure. Great acting from Oliver Platt. Yeah. Killed it. And just Dr. Charles just being the pro that he is. Yeah. This was, I think, yeah, I think this was one of the best storylines that, like, used Dr. Charles' job, like, perfectly. Where they used it just, like, yeah. perfectly. Like, him being brought in as, like, a... You know, they thought he was going to be brought in to, like, it help with the consult for the dad. But then he noticed something else because he's so trained, too. And it just, it worked out so great. I mean, terrible yeah. for the actual storyline. But, like, great for us as viewers, so. Right. Okay. So then we kind of move into the Ethan and April stuff. So there's not a ton to talk about. But April apologizes for that kit to Ethan for the kiss that, you know, last week. 
And all she really says is, you know, I know you're with Vicky now and there's nothing else for us to talk about. And she walks away. But Ethan has this look on his face like, you know, he wants to say something to her. And I'm like, there, I'm like screaming, you know, there is like, you know, the fact that you're both in love with each other, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. And like all Choi had to do in that moment was say something as she walked away. I mean, she would have turned around and Ethan was making hard eyes at her the entire episode. Yeah. But like. You can't hear hard eyes. You can only see them. So got to use your words, Joy. Right. And if you like, I don't know, like break up with Vicky and then move on to the April stuff. Like you're clearly in love with April and I think he's starting to realize it. So like just go with, you know, do the simple thing and then move on to the hard part. (laughs) Yeah. Like just cut to the chase already. Okay. You've been dragging us along for 12 episodes now. Let's go. Yeah, so kind of, we'll skip real quick. So we had a question from Allison who said, do you think Ethan's storyline this week is leading up to Emily coming back? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, there was nothing about this week's storyline in particular that made me think that. I mean, I feel like Emily, I mean, Emily's going to come back for sure, and in what way, I don't know. But, like, I guess maybe with the alcoholism part, that's where they were going with it. But, like, no, I think this was just an alcoholism case and, you know, Ethan knows how to work those because he's unfortunately dealt with it. Not himself, but with Emily and, you know, Benny. What was his name? Bernie? Bernie, yeah. Bernie, Bert, whatever whatever it was. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, But I don't think there was nothing specifically about this case that was like, ooh, that's a clue. Emily's coming back. So... No, I didn't see anything. I thought this was a good one for Ethan because he wasn't judgy about it. Any other mm-hmm. episode, he was usually really judgy about these things. He wasn't in this episode. Well, and that's what I'm saying is, like, Ethan was, like, around, but it also became very quickly, like, a case about not the dad or not the guy with the alcoholism at that point. Like, it became much more than that. So right. there wasn't much focus on even if Ethan was judgy. Like, there wasn't any focus on it, which I, he wasn't, but, you know. So then the other part of it was, so Elsa lost her first patient, which, and, you know, she kind of dealt with it in her very Elsa way, you know, Lannick asked her after she loses him, you know, she's like, he's like, you gotta go, like, go say something to them now, Um, like, do you need help, or, like, you want me to go with you, and she's like, no, we learned how to do this our second year, and then she just gives, like, it literally sounds like it was, like, she was reading off a prompter, like, what to say. Yeah. And then April has to step in because April did go with her and, you know, pull her April mama bear card and, you know, actually be a human about it and comfort them. How creepy, or not creepy, but, like, how freaky is that that, like, the guy came in with appendicitis and died because of an allergic reaction to the contrast? Yeah, but, I mean, like, like, Lanik, I think it was Lanik said, you know, you don't know, like, sometimes, you know, he says he didn't have any allergies, which is true, but, like, he wouldn't know that he was allergic to it until it happened. That's scary. It is scary. But, I mean, those, yeah. unfortunately, those things happen. Like, you know, it's the same thing. Like, I, you know, I'm not allergic to anything that I know of, but, like, that doesn't mean that one day I couldn't have developed a reaction to a bee sting, get stung by a bee, and, you know, have something happen. Yeah, they say you can develop allergies, like, at any time in your life, like, out of the blue. You can get rid of them, too. You can? Yeah. Like, they can fade. How do you just... 
Oh, well, yeah. As you get older, like, if you have, if you're allergic to something, you know, like, as a kid, like, if you're allergic to dairy as a kid, like, you might not necessarily be allergic to it as, like, a 25-year-old. Yeah. That's what I mean. Not, you can't, not, you can do something yourself to get rid of it, but as you get older, you can get rid of it. Okay. I was like, what could I have done all these years to not be allergic to cats, but. Yeah, no, but as you get older, you can, they age out of your allergies. That's how I should have worded it. Um. <laughs> Wait, so you're allergic to cats? Yeah, well, okay, so I was super allergic to them when I was a child. And then getting older, I thought I was better, but now it depends on the cat if I'm around. Like, certain cats, like, my friend Heidi's cat will give me a reaction. I'll just, like, like I can feel it. Um, I don't know how else to describe it. And then my friends John and Brenda, they have, like, a bunch of cats. And I usually do okay. I just don't really pet them. But it depends on the cat. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm a dog person though, so like it doesn't no harm no foul really. Right, I'm not allergic to anything. Yes. Knock on wood. We're doing good. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just something I thought was interesting that I noticed. You know, there's been a lot of focus on Elsa recently, which I like because I love. I mean, you know, we're we love Elsa. Um, uh-huh. But what happened to Terry? You know, he's in Hamilton. He is? Yeah, in in Chicago. He's uh, he's Lafayette and oh, I, Jefferson. I think we no, did. No, not Lafayette and Jefferson. I'm sorry. He's No, he is Lafayette and Jefferson. Yeah. I think we did talk about this. He's in Hamilton. Um, Apatha posted a picture last week with him. At Hamilton? From that theater. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I guess that has to do with it? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like he, you know, they... When they talked about, when they announced it, it was like, oh, but, you know, like, they're both going to come in and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, like, he was around, like, the last time we really saw him was, like, when he got thrown under the bus for that one mistake or whatever. Right. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What did you think of the Goodwin and Dr. Charles thing with the online dating? I thought that was interesting. Somebody, I don't remember who it was. Somebody made a comment that was like, is it too early to start shipping them? I don't think they're gonna something's gonna happen between them but because I, I kind of got that vibe towards the end too I was like are they trying to point us in that direction of those two just finally realizing they have feelings for each other I hope not I don't, I don't want like I don't know like I kind of like where they're at now with like if they want to find love like for each character separately I'm okay with that but like we really don't need every single person in this hospital hooking up only because, and I, I put this in the outline earlier, but is it me or are the ships on Med just, like, way more dysfunctional than the others? Well, yes, definitely. But that's honestly because they work so closely together all the fucking time. And not just that, because they yeah. all obviously work together. I mean, that's what the shows are. They revolve around the workplace. But, like, right. we always talk about it, how, like, the Med couples are always paired together. So they literally are working yeah. together. And I just don't want that. And I think for me, too, with the um, Goodwin and Dr. Charles, it's just, like, at that point, literally everyone has coupled up with each other on that show except for Maggie. And, like, it just – that's not realistic. Like, not every single coworker you have is going to hook up with another coworker. No. Like, that is just not realistic. It is realistic that, like, coworkers will hook up and, like, be in relationships, but, like, that is not – no. Right. They just – they have to draw a line somewhere, Right. I guess. Well, like, you don't see it happening in fire in the firehouse. Like, 
Herman has love outside. I mean, for the most part, the firehouse has love right now outside the firehouse. Yeah, that is true. Actually, I think that's everyone true, has actually. love outside the firehouse. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, actually, that's entirely true. Yeah, because Stella and Kelly are not together. They're the only ones who currently would have had love in the firehouse. Those two. Swear. And it doesn't really happen. I mean, on PD, like, Voight isn't really hooking up with anyone. And who else isn't? Like, Antonio was hooking up. I, like, to imagine that Voight has a long-distance Skype relationship with Olivia Benson. <laughs> but I also say that just because the reruns on the local channel last night, like, one of them was the SVU crossover. Oh, I'm sure. But, yeah, so you know what I'm saying? It's just, like, Med is the only show that does that, and I just feel like they have to draw a line somewhere, and they can't have them hook up. Right. Because then it gets crazy. It's too much. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's all for Med. You have anything else you want to talk about for Med? No. Okay. So, moving on to Fire. Let's talk about Casey and Sev. Yes. My first thing, so when they first walk into the firehouse and they're late for work, and they're talking about, like, why they were late for work and the fact that, like, Sev was cornered by, like, an eager apartment mate or whatever, um, and Casey's, like, encouraging him to go hook up with her, I was like, Casey, what are you doing? Stop it. Like, nah. Like, if Sev wants to go sleep with someone, okay, fine. I don't want it, but, like, I could deal with it. But, like, let Sev make his own choices. Just, like, stop. Stop encouraging him. This is, I mean, this is what we get, right? Like, we wanted those two to be bros and be single at the same time and living together and everything. And this was part of it, is that they're probably going to be, like, the devils on each other's shoulders encouraging each other to do bad things. Yeah. I'm just, like... Because <sighs> even Severide was like, you take her out. And I was like, no, no, that's that's not any better. Yeah. I was just like, what the hell? I can't even... But then that was really not the point of their storyline this week. The storyline was that Casey and Truck were called to a scene. A guy on a motorcycle accident ended up dying in the hospital. Um, and it, they were told by the police that it was kind of, you know, just a freak accident. Guy, like, was going too fast and hit something, whatever. Nobody, It was nobody's fault. Um, but Casey just kind of gets this, you know, bad feeling about it and whatever and asked Sev some questions about what he thinks, and they end up investigating the whole thing themselves, which I just kind of love when they always work together. Um, and I love the comment, too, about how when they were talking to the police officer for, like, the first kind of details about what happened, the police officers were like, I don't see a lot of firefighters getting involved and, you know, getting this involved. And we're like, well, you've never met Sever right and Casey. Like, yeah, you've clearly never seen an episode of this show in your life. Right. But then I also, again, I also just love them working together. Like, I loved, they were, like, gossiping on their way to find the bike at the junkyard. Like, that was just, like, adorable. They're, like, uh, Severed's, like, so I heard you guys got some, like, issues going on at Truck 81. And Casey's, like, yeah, what does it matter into it? Like, I just love their little gossip session. It was great. Yeah. So cute. But then I feel like the other most talked about thing from the storyline was that, like, one awkward Antonio moment. Yes. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I, I mean, I get that, you know, they brought him in because obviously we found out that the cop was the one who had hit the guy on the motorcycle. More about that in a second. But I had tweeted during the episode just, like, wondering, because we haven't seen Casey and Antonio share a scene at all this season. Like, yeah, 
they used to share scenes all the time, but now they don't at all. And so I had tweeted, I was like, and it was completely like innocuous. I was like, do you ever wonder if like Casey and Antonio ever just kind of get together and get drunk and just talk about Gabby? And we got a lot of replies, actually. Some people were like, yes, absolutely. And other ones were like, I doubt it. Yeah. I mean, because we had one of the tweets that we had gotten was from Tina. And she said, you know, that scene was awkward, but I hope we see them talk about her one day. I feel like fans need that on some level. Yeah. Well, we have to hear something from Antonio. We haven't, I mean, for all we know, does he even know his sister's gone? Right. Like, as far as... As far as we know, on PD, she could still, like, pop up at any second, you know? Like, right. Like, as far as we know, she lives in Chicago on PD, like, uh, um. I know, I was half waiting for him to be like, hey, how's Gabby? I haven't talked to her in a while. And Casey'd be like, um, about that. Yeah. It, it was interesting. I, I don't know. Um. But yeah, especially because I noticed his name pop up in the credits, and I was like, "Ooh, I wonder if he's gonna have something with Brett." Like that was my first thought, because that's mostly when we see him on fire. I mean, granted, we haven't seen him like that in a while, but like when he's been on fire in the last couple of years, it's been for Brett. So like for him to just pop right. up and deal with that, I was like, "Oh, okay, sure." All right. That. Anyway, um, and I also just loved. I mean, so the motorcycle case ended with. Basically, the father, or the guy who was on the motorcycle loved to record his rides on his GoPro. And so they ended up finding the GoPro and the footage on there. I'm surprised the GoPro wasn't damaged, but whatever. It wasn't enough for them to get the footage off of it. So they get the footage off of it. And the footage shows that the guy was cut off by the police officer. And that it was really the police officer's fault why he crashed. Why do I fall for these things every single time? Like, they introduced the cop, and I was like, he seems nice. Of course he did it. Like, I fall for it every damn time. So that at the end of the episode happens, and I'm like, oh, my God, it was him. See, I didn't fall for this one. I figured it was going to be. He, I figured he was going to be involved somehow. Whether it ended up right. being, I don't, I don't know. But, like, I figured he was going to be involved somehow. So that one didn't throw me. But I loved how they kind of ended it. So the guy's son, or the motorcycle victim's son was around and you know had mentioned had talked to Casey and was the one that told him about the GoPro and when Casey tells him you know what happened actually happened um Casey's like well you know like you can sue him if you want and the guy was like no like we're not gonna sue him you know like yes it obviously sucks that like my dad passed away but like we got a list today of all the people whose organs he helped and like goes through the list or whatever and then he leaves and and summarizes like you know thanks for bringing me in on this one like, I loved that. I loved that ending. I thought it was a really sweet ending. And it was kind of a message like, don't sweat the small stuff, you know? Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. And we had gotten, in Allison's email, she had asked us, you know, she said, I really enjoyed the Casey and Severed storyline. The writers keep giving the Sev storylines having to do with fathers and sons. Do you think we're going to see more growth for the, his character as a result? It would be nice to see that these experiences are helping him process his own situation in some way and not just have them be standalone stories. I mean, we're always hoping for Severed growth. Right. And I think, I mean, I think that's an easy easy way to read into those storylines. I mean, but it also might be reading too much into them just because they're presented to us. Um, I definitely think last week's episode with the boat and the kid, the kid whose name I'm blanking on right this moment. Um, Riley. Riley, yeah. I think 
that storyline for sure you can read into him it, having to relate to Benny and Kelly and, you know, how Severide's grieving. Um, this one, probably not so much, but I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see if that is a pattern of something that continues. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And in Derek's Q&A today, he was talking about Stella Ride, too. I wonder if this growth will kind of help lead him back to Stella. I don't know. Do you think that they end up, like, that's a thing that happens by the end of the season? Or if that, like, a, like, cliffhanger of Stella Ride, like, really gets resolved in, like, early next season kind of thing? That's a good question. I would like to think they'll be resolved by the end of the season. I don't know. Maybe I'm just pessimistic. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure they'll get resolved at some point, but I don't know if I'm holding out hope for this season. We'll see. I mean, I feel like we've been saying that about Berzik for three years now. Where we're like, I'm holding out hope. There's still hope for them. Yeah. And all sorts of other crazy shit keeps happening, and we're like, nope, never mind. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to the Berziks. <laughs> oh, no, we will. We will. Um, Trust me. But let's talk about the Mountain Otis stuff, which was interesting. I don't really know how I feel about this still. Like, on Same. the one hand, I'm like... I get why Mouch was annoyed and upset at Otis for, like, all the comments and just being, like, annoyed that, like, this is something he says every day, probably, and, like, how it just builds up and you're like, just stop already. But, like, also on the one hand, like, it wasn't like Otis was joking about, like, his weight or something like that. Like, it was his age. Like, it was, like, probably the most harmless thing you could probably pick to joke about. Like, I don't really, like, I don't really know who, like, how I feel about this. I feel like they were trying to convey, you know, exactly what they exactly what they said that, you know, Firehouse's family, sometimes you argue that happens. But I think they poured it on a little too thick. Yeah, well then there's this whole like deep part of it on Otis's side where Otis was like, humor is the cornerstone of Firehouse life, but we can't all sit around the common room and find a way to laugh at tragedy, including Mouse's advanced age and like how are we gonna survive the job? And I was like, Whoa, that's a little deep. I think that might tap into a little bit of his PTSD. Well, so yeah. So somebody sent us a tweet about that, which I thought, I think too. Um, And the tweet was from Extraordinary Girl 116. And she says, Otis has been through a lot and it's affected him after getting shot last season and then him finding the mother and her baby burn alive this season. He doesn't want to talk about it. He made that clear in Med 402. So he just makes jokes to survive the job. Yeah. But I wonder if that means we're going to see it again. I hope so. I hope so. But, yeah. I don't know. It just came off, like you said, I think they did it a little too thick. Like, it was a little too much. Especially if we're, I mean, granted, if they want to fight, okay, fine. Like, you know, at the end of the day, Firehouse Family is Firehouse Family. But, like, especially because they're typically, like, the comic relief. Like, I just don't know if it really worked that well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. I I thought it was really sweet, like, the message of it with Ritter trying to put them back together, but it was a little odd in practice. Like, because both of them, you know, well, Otis, like, the first couple old jokes, I was like, that's kind of funny. And then they kept going, and I was like, all right, that's enough, Otis. And then when Mouch finally snapped, I was like, why is he being so sensitive? Yeah, agree. Like, it didn't really come across effectively. It just kind of came across as, like, us being like, well, what is wrong with those two? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, I loved Reader's big heart and how he wanted him to make up, but it was just like, I don't know, it was just weird. Yeah. Probably my least favorite B storyline all season. 
Yeah, I get that. The Plouch moments were really nice, though. They were. Uh, they they were. And it was nice to see a lot of Trudy and see that relationship. Because I feel like when Trudy usually pops up, it's, like, for a PD-related reason. And this was, like, no PD-related reasons. It was just, like, her actually being Match's wife, which was kind of cool. I about, like, melted when they had – when she was prepping for poker night – and he was like, should I retire? And she was like, you ask me this once a year. And every year I say, Randall McCollend, you are in your prime. I'm like, oh, yeah. relationship goals. They really are, though. Mm-hmm. The cutest. Um, But yeah, and I don't really think it was necessarily like somebody more at fault. Like, I think they were both at fault for the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, yes, Otis was the instigator. But like, Mouch kind of hit below the belt when he responded right agree yeah there was no it wasn't really anyone's like fault necessarily no but Ritter with the sweater that That was was so funny I loved it it was really funny um so yeah that's I guess that part and then the last thing we got to talk about is Foster's Love Life Girl Squad I mean Jiffy Pop Culture asked like how much did we love the new Chicago Fire Girl Squad I mean duh loved it so much so much and it's so overdue yeah it really is though um, and I love that they're just, like, leaning into it. Like, oh, love it. Yes. So, also, I mean, I I mean, we talked about it a little last week. I mean, and I think we were maybe just a little too premature about how, you know, we were like, you know, they're only showing her with guys and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, like, Foster was living her proud bisexual life this week, and I was here for it. Yes, queen. It's like, love it. Um, I mean, I hope they show kind of, like, I think my biggest problem is, like, maybe not showing it consistently. Like, it was great this week, but, like, I'd like to see it, you know, not just, like, once every 12 weeks. That, like, she's bisexual, you know. Should be at least brought up every couple weeks, but whatever. I feel like they've got years of making up to us to do after killing Shay. Like, they've they've got to make this up to us, and they've got a long way to go. Yeah, for sure. So that was great, but then the guy, the doctor from last week that we hinted at was, like, kind of a thing, is also now, I guess, going to be her stalker because, so Foster goes out with him for drinks. It seems like it goes okay, but, you know, she's like, he came back to my place, but, like, you know, I I kicked him out, whatever, and, you know, seems like she wasn't really interested in seeing him again, but then he turns up at Molly's and... Foster's like, what are you, like, what is he doing here? And Saul's like, you didn't invite him? And she's like, no. And he comes over to the table and he whispers in her ear and he's like, I'm not giving up that easy. That was another line that to me just did not quite compute because without the music, I would have been like, that's, that means nothing. Like, that's just so inconsequential. But the music got dark. And so I was like, I guess we're supposed to take this seriously. Well, and to me too, like, I honestly had to go back and watch the scene where she tells Stella and Brett, like, what happened at their date. Because I, like, kind of thought I missed something at first. And I was like, wait, did she actually break up with him? Like, and he's just fighting for her? Like, I like I kind of thought I missed something. Like, there was, like, a deleted scene or something. That I was like, wait, yeah. so what happened? Like, it, he's trying to fight for, you, for her. That's kind of cute. And then I realized, and I was like, oh, no, I guess they're kind of leaning into, like, a stalker way. But, like, this is weird. Okay. Right. Um, but there were also, so thought the whole thing with Foster was that earlier in the episode, she was leaving, you know, after having like a one night stand with a woman. And then obviously she went on this date with the doctor guy and Brett was being kind of judgy about the fact that Foster wasn't really, you know, into more than like going on dates with them, you know, seeing them more than once, like 
you know, she was just being kind of judgy and a lot of people had a lot to say about it. Um, we had a tweet from Ainsley Harris on Twitter. It said, you know, as much as I love her, Sylvie's being a bit judgy. You know, do we not remember her hooking up with her ex-fiance when he came to bring her home? One night stand with Roman. And how many times did she casually hook up with Antonio? Like. The, the Roman bit, I mean, I'm willing to give her a slide on that one because I was thinking the same thing. But then I was like, I mean, that's probably how she determined that she doesn't like the one night stand thing is through having a one night stand. So, but with Antonio, I mean, she was ready to commit, and then he took a pivot. Well, then she um, took a pivot the second time. Right. So. Right. It seems like it seems like she's in a good place, though, right now, and she does not need Antonio at the moment. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, I mean, you can't say that, like, Brett hasn't done it, and so for Brett to be so judgy, it was kind of like, whoa. Yeah. Um, we also can't ignore what Stella said when Stella was like, I'll never be in a serious relationship again. I respectfully call bullshit. I, yep, I was going to say, I, I call bullshit on that. Yeah. 100%. I mean, right now, 100%. sure. Like, I get that, but ne- you're never not going to be in a relationship again. Right. So. Kelly and Stella are stubborn. Yeah. Um, And then we had gotten a question from Haley G, and I just kind of put it there because... I didn't know really where else to put it. So she asked, would you ever ship Atwater and Foster together? I know she's bi, but I kind of dig it. No, because I want Atwater with Maggie. Um, I say yes, because I will ship Atwater with anybody if it means getting him a love interest that won't go to jail. True. I want him with Maggie still, though. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there, too. But if I have to choose between Maggie and Foster, which I've never really thought about before... Um, I'd probably choose Maggie. I feel like Maggie would be more his speed. Yeah. Like, and Maggie seems like she'd be a little bit more fun-loving. I think if we're, I think, I think I could almost say that, like, Foster and Atwater are too similar. And so if we're going with, like, the opposite to track thing, then I feel like it's got to be Maggie. Because Maggie's a little more, like, outgoing and, like, we'll call him on his bullshit. Not that he has really bullshit to call on or right now but you know what i'm saying like maggie's just right. like a little bit more outgoing and like out there whereas like atwater can seems like he can be like a little bit like laid back and reserved and chill and i get those kind of vibes from foster and i just feel like they're a little too much of the same person for it to like actually work out romantically i feel like foster is like work hard play hard like she doesn't ever slow it down it's just like she you know work hard play hard and i feel like kevin when he's not working wants to just slow it down yeah I agree with that. Get Atwater 11 dress 2K19. We're going on like two years of this campaign. We really are though. And I, I, I can't count Layla. Like they were great together, but she ended up in jail. Yeah. I can't she does her. not She does not count for sure. She doesn't count. She does not count. Yeah. But yeah. So that is there. You have anything else from fire you want to talk about? Nothing too Not really. Crazy. It was a very easygoing episode. It was definitely very filler. Yes, which I was able to determine right from the get-go because of the promo because it focused on that one call. That one call that was, like, ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It was so ridiculous that I didn't even want to talk about it. But go ahead. Talk about it if you want to. No, well, okay. So here's here's what baffled me, okay? So this call's at, like, an art museum, right? And these teenagers, like, run rampant around the place. Okay, When I was in elementary school, like, they always took us to art museums and stuff. And, like, the number one rule that they drilled into us and, like, I mean, they – 
Running was like out of the question to the point that they were like, if you run, we will never, ever do this again. You will never see the light of day. Like you'll never see your parents. Not that it was that serious, but like they drilled it into us. And so I'm like, what makes these teenagers think they can just go run rampant around an art museum? Like I never did that as a teenager. I never did that as a kid. Right. And like the fact that he's like climbing on it and she was like, the girl, his girlfriend or whoever the fuck she was, she was like, oh, yeah, like, well, he climbed up there fine. But then when he, sl- he like, slipped and his neck got caught and we tried. I'm like, oh, duh. Maybe you shouldn't be climbing on the fucking sculptures. Right. Crazy. I don't know. That is just what baffled me. I was like, what did they teach the teenagers in Illinois? Like, you know, where I grew up, I mean, they took us to, I mean, every year we would have a field trip to a museum. And I specifically remember being in like first, second grade and they were trying to show us like nude paintings and stuff and like explain to us that it was art. Meanwhile, you've got like six and seven year olds like giggling incessantly. But I don't know. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, and then the girl was like, she had a total crush on him or something. I was, she was like, yeah, he's the sweetest. He tutors little kids and everything. I'm like, yeah, but he's also a, grown man climbing on art sculptures like you may want to rethink that crush right stupid but yeah so that's fire nothing too crazy bada bing bada boom let's move on to Keith (laughs) so let's start with Jay and the case and then we'll specifically talk about like Upstead and Versic so let's just but let's just talk about like the case first so one I kind of, I mean, I like this episode, but, like, I'm really kind of over the fact that, like, it seems the only way that, like, they're going to have character-based episodes on this show anymore is, like, have them make a mistake and do something illegal, like, and then, like, have the episode be around, like, how the fuck to get them out of that situation. Like, why can't we just go to the back or back to when, like, the case paralleled something in their lives and they were fine, they were able to relate to it and then, like, have character episodes, like, based on that. Yeah, I feel like that um, Upton episode we got a couple weeks ago with the guy who uh, committed suicide and, like, the false confession and everything, I feel like that was based on her life. Right, but I just feel like it's definitely been, like, a noticeable, like, it's more of a difference, right? Like, for the most part this season, I'm not saying every episode, obviously, but, like, for the most part this season, it seemed like character so-and-so has been in trouble, did or did something stupid slash illegal, gets in trouble, or gets in a quandary, and then, you know... The team has to, yeah. like, solve around it or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's kind of over it. I don't know. I didn't mind the case in this one. I actually thought this was a pretty strong case. But Jay drove me insane. Yeah, this whole ep- – I, I thought the episode was strong. I just, like – and we're talking about, like, a pattern of things. And once I – since we start – since we talk about them like this and you start to notice the patterns, like, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, this was nothing, like, too special or anything. But I did like the episode. Um, but, yeah, yeah Jay no, was a little – I don't know. And, like, okay, usually I'm like, Jay's got his reasons. You go, Jay. Go be stubborn. Go do the thing. But this time I'm like – he goes into the warehouse, he finds Garrett, and Upton's like, do you realize how suspicious this looks? And he's like, well, I didn't know what I was going to do when I found him. You didn't know what you were going to do. You know what happened the last time you went rogue, Jay? You got shot. Like, did you not learn anything? You got kind of lucky. You got shot in the heart, but your vest caught it. Yeah. Did you not learn anything? Yeah. And, like, he turned off his radio. I'm like, dude. You set yourself up. Like, you practically framed yourself for this crime. But, okay, so here kind of going... He set himself up, yes. But the thing... Okay, so 
we'll skip around real quick. So, like, Kelton annoyed the ever-living hell out of me more so than Jay this episode. Because I thought it was, like, mm-hmm. weird. I thought it was weird that, like, Kelton immediately jumped to the, like, Jay's a murder suspect thing. When, like, if he had just given it a second, like, the ballistics report, which they, I'm sure, have to do for every case, like, would have undoubtedly shown that, like, Jay's gun was not used. And it didn't really bother me. I mean, he's trying to, I mean, basically the only, the first and foremost thing that on Kelton's agenda is to protect his image. So, you know, he, he said, you know, he said a couple times that he wants to go, you know, he wants to basically wage war against cowboy cops. The term cowboy cops when used to describe intelligence makes me laugh, but that's beside the point. But, you know, he's trying to go against these cops that go rogue. And so, you know, first and foremost, he's worried about his image. And so that didn't surprise me at all that he was like, this is a murder and Jay's suspect number one. Right, but it didn't surprise me. But at the same time, like, I mean, granted, it hasn't gotten leaked out or anything. But, like, wouldn't you just think that, like, just clear mind, you know, like, I don't know. I, like, understand why, like, from his character point, like, everything you said makes sense. But also just, like, we can, like, eliminate this whole thing once you get the ballistics report and, like, see that, like, it wasn't Jay. But okay, sure. Right, right. Whatever. And for a while there, though, I will say, like, the way the case was building up and how all the evidence pointed to Jay, like, there was doubt creeping into my mind. And then I had to remind myself and be like, wait a second. You know Jay didn't do this. You saw what Jay was doing. Like, he didn't, you know he didn't do this. Why are you doubting him? Yeah. I did love, though, I thought it was funny when Upton was like, you know, whatever she said. And she's like, you can go to prison. And I was like, if I had a dollar for every time Upton said someone could go to prison, like, I'd be rich. Oh, for real? Like, can we just make that make a drinking game out of that? Out of every time Haley is just like, you could go to prison. It's like, well, yes, they technically could. But, like, I could also be rich. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, going back to the Kelton thing real quick, though. Like, what do you think of Kelton and kind of, like, the role he's going to play moving forward? Do you like this character? Do you like what he's bringing? Or are you just, like, over it? I mean, no, I don't like him. He's, well, I mean, you know, he's like what he adds to the story, not necessarily like him, but like, you know what I'm saying? Um, we haven't gotten too in depth with him. He, we just know that he's a shady son of a bitch. mf Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't think we know. Yeah. I, I don't think we've seen enough of him for me to make that determination right now. I'm just like, I don't like him straight up just because like, you know, he's a villain. Yeah. Is there anybody good in Chicago politics? Like, that's my question. After six seasons of this show, like, is anybody good in the political, like, scheme? No. But that kind of, so that also kind of leads me into, like, the other thing I wanted to talk about with the case was the ending with Gus. Mm. And so I didn't see that coming. And it really honestly kind of, with Gus taking his own life, kind of took, it took me a few watches before I actually kind of realized, like, that's what happened. Again, because I watched it last night, last night being Saturday night for the first time. So it, like, kind of took me a second um, to realize that, like, that's what happened. Um, but, you know, part of the reason why Gus said that, you know, because he, he's the one that obviously ended up killing Garrett. Um, and, you know, part of the reason why he said he did what he did was because the justice system ended up being you know, so crooked and there's no actual justice in the system anymore. And, you know, that this guy who committed such terrible things, like, shouldn't have been able to walk away and shouldn't have gotten $200,000 from the city, but that's a whole different thing. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, he was just feeling so guilty about it that he decided to do something about it. Um, But, like, 
part of me, as I was thinking and kind of going off your comments, was, like, he's not really wrong. You know, like, every episode of PD has shown that, like, there's, especially this season, has shown that there is no justice in the system anymore. So, like, how do you work and make change in a broken system? Like, how does intelligence, like, how do the members of intelligence go to work every day when they've seen firsthand, especially this season, that, like, the system is broken, and especially in their city? Yeah, it's a great question. And I wonder if, it like, really is. based off the promo next week with Kevin seeing that firsthand and experiencing it and being so upset that, like, if that will maybe bring some answers or, like, something, I don't know. But, like, I'm sure this next week's episode or two weeks from now, the February 6th episode, will bring some answers or bring some kind of, like, more discussion at least to that question. Because it's a really interesting question. Next time we interview a PD character, like, we should definitely I was just about interview to, a PD actor. I was just about to say something about that. Like, yeah, we should definitely have that discussion with them. I feel like LaRoyce would have a killer answer for that. Yeah. But, yeah, so that was just something, like, all of that, like, as something I was thinking about as I was watching. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. I mean, the system is completely broken. And, obviously, that's where kind of Kelton comes in is, like, Kelton is, I feel like, the epitome of the system being broken, but. Yeah, and if you, like, I mean, if you really take a second to think about what happened to Garrett, I mean, he murdered a girl. All the evidence pointed to him, but he got off because the cops made a mistake. Not only did he get out of jail because of that, he got $200,000. Right. That is so fucked. Oh, it's so fucked. So fucked. And, like, you're literally just putting money in the hands of a criminal. Yeah. A free criminal. Which is c- completely against the idea of jail being to like rehabilitate a criminal yeah so fucked it was crazy and like you said it drove Gus it's so insane that he killed the guy and then ended up killing himself over it yeah because he didn't want to go to jail for it yeah well you could tell too i mean it took me a second but once i finally realized when he asked Voight for like some time to like get his stuff together like Voight knew yeah Voight totally knew Voight knew that was coming yeah. So, yeah, that was the case part. So then I guess the other part was kind of the shippy part of this. So let's yes. talk about the Burzicks real quick, and then we'll get into the Upstead part of it. The Burzicks. So this was week two of Burzick working together. It was great. Oh, I kind of so just great. love that how, like, when they did work together, Kim would, like, volunteer to go with him. And... Boyd's like, yeah, Adam can't go by himself. We need a right-hand man. And Kim's like, well, what about a right-hand woman? I was like, yes. Yes. That was great. So good. But. So, so good. You had written in the outline that, like, this is just kind of more proof that, like, Haley can't really keep up with Adam. At least. Yeah. Kim can. Yeah, this was interesting. Because Kim piped up and Kim was like, well, what about a right-hand woman? And she, like, she just did the undercover gig with him. I feel like when it comes to their styles of policing, Kim can keep up with Adam. Haley cannot. Haley is more, like, how do I describe it? I think it's because, so, I think it's more of a result of, like, Haley wanting to be more by the books, right? Not that she can't necessarily Mm -hmm. keep up with him, but, like, they just have very different styles of policing. Kim's is much more similar to Adam's, whereas Haley, like I said, Haley is, like, by the book, stickler for the rules, like, 
don't really want to push the boundaries. And Adam clearly is like, push all the boundaries. I don't care. Trust is trust. Adam just reacts. Yeah. Like, he just reacts. And Haley kind of thinks it through. But it was just, I mean, yeah. when I think it's, they, I feel like. Go ahead. Burgessing, I feel like Burgess and Adam work work better together than Haley and Adam. I agree. And I think it's because both Kim and Adam grew up under Voight. So they yes. have similar styles to Voight, and so they do work better together. Whereas Haley obviously is now working with Voight, and it's fine, but, like, she didn't grow up working under Voight. So... Yeah. yeah, I don't know. but And it also shows how far Burgess has, like, or how much Burgess has grown. Yeah. Because, like, compare Undercover Season 6 Burgess to, like, Season 1 Burgess, and it's night and day. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Kind of crazy. She was such a pro. I know. So then we've got, like, the Upstead part of this. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that last scene, though. Okay, first of all, before we get into that real quick, why does Petey never hang out with Molly's? Like, is it terrible that that's, that's the first thing I noticed? I actually haven't noticed that in a while, but you're not the only person to bring that up. That's interesting. Like, they never hang out at Molly's. Like, ever. Interesting. Maybe just change the scenery? I don't know, but, like, they could probably drink for free at Molly's, so, like, why don't you hang out there? Right, Or right. at least discount it. Right, I mean, yeah. Damn. Yeah, you're not the only person who's brought that up. I wonder why they haven't been hanging out at Molly's. I don't know. That was just the first thing I noticed. I guess it's just because, like, for me, it's the thing of, like, if you're going to simply cross over, like, if the whole point of the universe is to, like, cross over as much as possible in, like, the simple ways, like, that is the easiest way to do it, right? Like, for Fire, mm-hmm. it's so easy for them. Obviously, Fire owns Molly's, but, like, Fire is easy to cross onto Med because Fire victims go to Med. And PD crosses over, I feel like, more with Med. But, like, Molly's is an easy way for Fire and PD to cross. I don't know. I just feel like Molly's is the place where they can all easily cross. And so, like, why don't they use Molly's as much as they can? I don't know. I feel like we haven't seen a lot of Fire and Med people on PD this season. But we've seen Fire and Med kind of cross. But we haven't really seen anybody on PD. We haven't seen anyone on PD, but we've seen PD on Med. We saw Upton, but I think that's the only one, isn't it? Oh, no, we saw Jay a lot. Well, Burgess. Yes, Burgess. So, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've seen that. So, but no one specifically no. on PD, I don't think. No, So that we've seen. I don't know. I was just the first thing I noticed, and I was like, this is terrible. That was the first thing I noticed, but we can move on. <laughs> but that scene, though, I mean, <laughs> that was a great scene. Yes, and, like, they, there were not – it wasn't just one moment between Upset. There were two moments where they were giving each other eyes, and I was like, whoa, like, where did these sparks come from? Yeah, there was a moment where he was, like, looking at her, and I was just like, I actually really like this. I'm uh, – yeah. I mean, I've said that before, but, yeah. like, I like this. I'm starting to feel it, yeah. I'm like – and I know from the get-go, I was like, absolutely no on Upstead. But now that they've built a foundation, I'm like, okay. Because this is the way you're supposed to do it, right? Like, if you're taking friends and, like, turning them into something more, like, build that foundation. Don't just have it happen out of the middle of nowhere. Right. Like, let us actually learn to like them together before you force it on yes. us. Yeah. I mean, it's quite obvious they've both got feelings for each other. Oh, for sure. Like, especially when he was like, oh, is that Adam? And she's like, yeah. 
She ignored the call. Yeah. But then he was like, she was like, I should probably go. And he's like, yeah, I know. I was just like, oh. So we had a couple questions from people about, like, Halstead, Upton, and Burzik, and Ruzik, all the things. So Allison the asked us. Parallelogram? What? The love parallelogram? Yeah. So Allison asked <laughs> us, does it seem to you like the more the show is trying to convince us that Upsick is a serious thing, the more Upsted scenes there are? I'm kind of confused by where they're going with this. Yes, to the first part of her question. I think where they're going with this is that they're going to give Upsted the slowest burn ever. Well, maybe not ever, but yeah, they're definitely giving them a slow burn. I think it's also just trying to show that like, Ruzik is not the right person. Like, I think it's honestly just like a, yeah, they can be, think they can have something or whatever, but like, it's not just the right person for either one of them. Yeah, and I think, I think Haley is using Adam to bury her true feelings. Yeah, and you could argue that like Adam is using Haley, but like, I mean, we don't know, but like, who knows? Yeah. So I think that's kind of where they're going. They're trying to like, use it as like a plot device to like, show the like, they're not actually meant for each other. Mm-hmm. And then we had a couple questions from Haley G. She said, do you think Halstead and Upton will have their first kiss in the season finale? If so, do you think Upsick would end before or after? Personally, I would like to see Adam be the one to end it because I want to see him stand up to Haley for once. Ooh. Yes, I think they'll have their first kiss in the season finale. I don't, I mean, I think they're really leaning into this slow bird thing. So... I hope that Upzik would end before the kiss. Yeah, I would too. really hope that both Haley and Jay would respect Adam enough to, you know, not kiss until it's over. Between I also them. think a lot of this is going to come down to, to like, how Burgess finds out in 14 and, like, what that does. Uh, yes. So, like, I want to say they're going to – if it's not going to happen in the season finale, I think they're going to push the kiss as, like, far as possible. But, like, we really don't know what's going to happen once Burgess finds out. So, like, it could be not as big of a re- – I mean, I don't – you know, I don't know. We don't know. So, I think that's going to play a lot into how everything for the rest of the season shapes out. So. Right. Yeah. And then, so, going off of that, she said, after the big reveal in 614 – would you be interested in seeing a moment between Burgess and Halstead where they talk about Upsick? Like, Jay shares his feelings for Haley with Kim, and Kim shares her feelings for Adam with Jay. I know we're not expecting Burgess to care, but a part of me feels like she has to on some level. Like, why dedicate it, a whole episode to it and have Patty tease it otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I would expect Burgess not to care, but if they're dedicating a whole episode to it, she's going to care. I think at least she's going to care about the fact that they lied to her. At like yeah. the word, at the like best of it, um, yeah, yeah. And I'm all for one of these scenes, like she suggests, only because I really would love them to develop the Birchdead friendship. That's a tongue twister. I would too. The only reason I, again, I think it depends on like why Burgess cares so much in the big reveal. But like, if Burgess only cares because they lied to her, then like I can't really see them having a scene like that where Burgess is saying that like she cares about Adam because like where has she been then for the last like three seasons? Right. So I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, do you have anything else for PD you want to talk about? No, not really. 
Um, okay, then, yeah, I think that's it then. Um, so, yeah, that's everything for 412, 712, and 612. Um, so here's what our plan is for this week's scene as the shows aren't on this week. They'll be back for February 6th. We're going to take a break. We're going to not put out a new episode this week. Gina needs to get better and she's traveling and, you know, so it's just kind of the, makes the most sense since, you know, just to take a break this week. Um, but if you guys need us or anything, you know where to find us, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, meet us at Molly's. Email us, meet us at mollies at gmail.com. We're always here for you guys, and feel free, like I said, send us emails or whatever. Um, yeah, you can also follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at K 13 Gina? I am at Gina Watches TV. Yeah, you guys can feel free to hit us up there. Um, we love to talk about, you know, anything else, sports, TV, whatever, you name it. We're here for you guys. Um, so, yeah. That's, I guess, it for this week. And we will see you guys then on, shit, what is that Friday? February 8th. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's correct. We will see you guys on February 8th. Bye.